0: thinking they did it on their own and uh, some of us uh, have kids in our lives that are over the top when they say I do it by my own we had one of those uh, our oldest uh, twin Sarah and she was definitely I do it by my own and there was this place we used to take them bicycle riding and they still had their training wheels on and there was this little incline and she would try to make it up to the upper parking lot and she would get a going start and make it about halfway and then stall out. And she would stand up and she would scream and cry because she couldn't make it and if we went over to help her up the driveway, up the ramp, she would just scream, do it by my own. She's still there today. No, she, she just would not, just did not want to take help from anybody else. And it's interesting that that's just not a childlike thing. It's an adult-like thing. Even when I was picking up my dad after uh, him having that heart, uh, that valve replacement, and we were down at the car, and he was in the wheelchair, and the orderly was taking, and I reached to give him my hand to help him up, he actually swatted it away. And he didn't say, do it by my own, but that's what he meant. So give him a hard time when you see him later on today. So we all have this idea of doing things on our own and we like having a heavenly father but we can't do things on our own and that heavenly father gave us a pathway to have a relationship with him through the gift of his son through the work of the spirit and a lot of us get into that but then we in a sense push his hand away and say do it by my own. We sung about that song about being prone to wander. Man, I wish that I wasn't prone to wander. I know all of us that claim to be Christ followers have said yes to Christ. If we could, if we could take drink some magic potion and never wander, we would take it because we want to be all in. But there are these times where we wander and we pull back And we say, I'm going to do it by my own. And eventually, that gets us into trouble. Uh, We have a divided heart. And because we have a divided heart, because we want to do things on our own, we think we're kind of in it enough to be covered. And yes, uh, when you and I say yes to Jesus Christ, it's not by our actions. It's by God's actions, by his son but uh, there is this place where we need to not wander, where we need to lean in rather than away, and, and it, there's some tension in that. And so what do we do? We, we, we're in, but there's some holdouts in our life. We say, I'm going to do that part of life by my own. I like salvation. I like the promise of eternity, the hope of eternity, next chapter of life things but, when it comes to this chapter of like there's still some things that I want to do on my own, and I that do my own attitude gets us into trouble, and it really got Saul into trouble, the first king of israel, and we 're working our way uh, next week we 'll be introduced to uh, uh, David, King David, or David still the shepherd boy, but today we 're kind of seeing the last uh, not last hurrah because Saul doesn't go away, but the last chapter where kind of the verdict is on his reign. So if you have a Bible, you can use the Rack Bible or use uh, version that app. Uh, you can follow around as we get into 1 Samuel chapter 15. But we're going to see when you and I have this, I do it on my own. I am in a sense, yes, God is uh, king of my life, but uh, there are some places where he isn't. And we think we're doing enough or being obedient enough. We have to realize that unfinished obedience, my unfinished obedience, is not obedience. My unfinished obedience is not obedience. Even if I just do it 90% right and I have this piece that I'm holding out. I'm going to do all these things right. I'm, I'm listening to you, but I leave this little segment of my life. It means we're living in disobedience. And that may sound pretty harsh, but it's the reality. We see it in Saul's life. We see that he goes almost all the way, but not all the way. And some of us might say, yeah, we can give the guy, cut the guy some slack, but we're going to see that God, through his prophet Samuel, doesn't cut him slack. So that should cause us all to lean forward as Christ followers. And again, it's not we're going to lose our relationship with him. But there are things, there are doors that get closed. There are consequences for unfinished obedience in our life. Because unfinished obedience is not obedience. And this may seem very obvious, but I want to say it out loud is this. Obedience is not always easy. It's not always easy to be obedient, because if it was easy, then we would all do it. We would follow through. We wouldn't hold back. And for Saul, it wasn't always easy, and it comes back to um, haunt him. Uh, two weeks ago, we really dived into the first three verses, and uh, this is uh, just, uh, we kind of have to get our mind around this, it seems just uh, too much, but you can listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they were waylaid as they came up from Egypt. This is like 400 years they've been just just uh, stirring the pot Uh, The Amalekites, uh, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago, just are horrendous, horrific people. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And that seems to us way over the top. Well, you have to go back two weeks to, to hear about that. But just one little thought is Israel was not, attacking the Amalekites to, in a sense, gain their stuff, this was the justice of God. That's why God said, don't take anything. This isn't nation building. This isn't moving in and getting all their stuff, uh, you know, taking their people captive. This is not what this is. I've been waiting and waiting patiently. I've given them lots of time, and time is up. And we have to ask ourselves, in certain chapters of life, where is the t- clock really ticking? It's not to scare you, well, maybe a little bit. It's to wake us up and say, I don't want consequences for those actions. God has spoken to my heart a number of times about this. It should actually only have to be once, but some of us are slow learners like myself. He's talked to me a number of times. He's spoken to my heart. He's impressed this upon my heart a number of times. When is it he's finally going to say, enough is enough. Go do your own thing and live with that consequence. That is a possibility. We're going to see in a verse that we've used out of Romans a few times that uh, we can take his graciousness for granted. So moving on to verse 4. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, And 10,000 from Judea. Saul went to the city of Malachi. And set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites. Go away. Leave the Amalekites. So I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites. When they came out of Egypt. So Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. And there's this idea that this is not really a secret. This is coming. The Amalekites could have surrendered but they chose not to. They would not submit to what God wanted from them, and so there's judgment, and we talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about uh, God is a loving God, but God is a God of justice, and there is judgment. There is wrath for our sin. That's why his son, Came and die for us if there was no need of that there'd be no need of a savior there'd be no need of what we celebrated easter death burial resurrection that is key so as we're thinking about this and we're thinking about this idea of obedience and obedience is hard as a christ follower we ought to be engaged with the transformational work that god is doing in our life and that means continually converting changing growing and being about the business that god would have for us and when you and i are at the business of god has it is not always easy it, it can be hard but it is better than the alternative as a christ follower we are designed to follow christ we are living in tension when we choose not to follow him we have the spirit within us the Holy Spirit, he's leading us so we have this rub in our heart when we don't follow his lead. That's called conviction. Uh, you, you've heard me say this before. I'm not, we're not into guilting people. That, that's like man-made. We're into conviction, Holy Spirit generated in our life. And we ought to celebrate conviction that's Holy Spirit generated in our life. Because it's moving us in a way. Jesus says himself, then Jesus said to his followers, if any of you want to be my follower, you must stop thinking about yourself and what you want. That's the idea of loving God, loving others. You must be willing to carry the cross that is given to you for following me. It's not a punishment. But living in a world that is not your home isn't easy. You and I should be a little bit out of phase with what goes on in our society. It should should rub us the wrong way. It should should cause us a little bit of turmoil because this is not our home. When you and I as Christ followers are all settled in and comfortable, doesn't mean you go looking for trouble, but when we're all settled in and living a comfortable life, wherever it may be, and there's no tension, that could be an indicator that you've made this too much of your home we are literally just passing through obedience is hard what what Saul what Saul was asked to do was not easy but he was asked to do it and along with it being hard is obedience is expected you're a Christ follower. If you're not, you haven't said yes to Christ, obedience is not expected from you. You're kind of like off the hook. But if you're a Christ follower, you then follow Christ. And that following shows up in the way you interact with the world around you, in your behavior. Um, it's not that your behavior earns your way, but your behavior represents that you're following Christ. You know, if you're a fan of a sports team, I won't say it, but if you're a fan of a sports team, then you have that stuff. You have a shirt. You have like a little bumper sticker on your car. You represent that you're, You it, it shows up. You, you're not a closet fan. People know. So obedience is expected. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havella to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agai, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all the people he totally destroyed with the sword. And, you know, if we, if we go back and, uh, or go ahead and we look at Esther, we talked about this two weeks ago, that the guy who's after es- Esther and all the Jews of that day originated with this Amalekite. So it shows that uh, uh, Saul didn't do something and it had consequences hundreds of years later. But Saul and the army spared Agai and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. These were the unwilling, those that were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. They should have known the story when Moses was bringing the people out and then Joshua took over and they worked against Jericho and Achan kept some stuff that was dedicated for destruction. They should have known that Bible story. Some of us know those kinds of Bible stories, something that shouldn't be a part of our life. We shouldn't build our life on. Again, some of this is that that God, and you see this happening even when... um. Uh, Lot is captured and Abraham goes and rescues him uh, and then uh, the, the kings uh, want to uh, give him some of the loot, give him a, a bonus gift. And Abram says, no, I can't have that because I don't want it to be said that the reason uh, Abraham grew into a great nation, eventually Israel, is because you gave them their stuff. They, it wanted to be God originated, not something else. So he wanted to build the nation on something else this is the same kind of idea so you and i as christ followers today we need to take the inventory of our lives and make sure we're building it on the right foundation we talked a little bit about that last week making sure what we're building our life on first is christ and then all the pieces on top as we build the structure of our lives it is built on the right foundation when you and i uh, take a take a second look at something. Uh, don't uh, obey fully, because uh, disobedience is, uh, is you know when we obey partially, it's disobedience. When we start building our life on those things, we ought to expect cracks and problems. it's just you know you do you build something out of cheap material, you don't build it right, you have problems later on. And some of us, if we don't fix it, go back and correct it, make it right, whatever that looks like. It can be different in a lot of situations are building on with materials that eventually there's going to be a problem, and you might not see it for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Sometime the, the fact that that structure is not sound is going to come back and, and I, I don't want to say haunt you, but it's going to just show up. That's why God cares about the structures of your life. He's not doing that to, 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 to take something away. He's not doing that to, to hurt you. He knows that in 10, 20, 30 years, whatever, that uh, you're going to have a stronger structure you're building your lives on, so it won't cave as easy. So he's trying to help you out. He's trying to help me out. But for some reason, again, I want to do it by my own. Part of this when it comes to, well, we'll read. look at this. You can prescribe the right way, God. You prescribe the right way to live. Now you expect us to live it. Oh, that my steps might be steady, keeping to the course you have set. That ought to be a prayer. That ought to be something you just just meditate on. Start your day for a week with that verse. Oh, that my steps might be steady, keeping to the course you have set, God. Would I make that a part of my life? Would that be the rhythm of my life, the way I respond to life? Psalm 119, verses 4 through 5. We also see a part of this is my pride opens the door to disobedience. When I say I know the right way, God doesn't really know what he's talking about. When I say my way, not his way we we get ready to gee in problems when we we're pride because we're saying i know better than you we're not humbling our stuff we're not taking our our ability to choose for ourselves and putting it under the will of god and uh you know we we can we can do that 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 we just we just do what we want to do god gives us freedom god doesn't make you basically do anything you've got free reign of your life he's he's given it to you and he's saying here's life now live it to the fullest Living to the fullest is engaged with me, following me, but I'm going to let you do what you want to do. And so sometimes we come to a situation, we go, you know, in this situation, obedience is hard. I know it's expected, but I don't really think it's worth the cost. So we pull back because we think we know better. But pride, when we are in that mindset, that's the reason we need to be uh, immersing ourselves in the scriptures Really, day after day after day. So when our life cr- intersects a situation, a decision, we have the resources in our life to write the check that that situation needs. I uh, talk to graduates like that. Maybe I've even said this recently. Graduate gets a point where they're ready to decide what to do after they graduate. And I first ask them, well, how's your walk with God been? And they go, why? Because... You're building off that. If, if you've kind of put that on hold for the last two or three years, then it's a little harder making this decision. If you're making this decision out of a thriving relationship with God, it's going to be a little easier. And that's true for all of us. We want to have those resources in our life so it's natural to follow Christ in that situation. It's not like, oh, awkward, because we we just kind of know because we've been walking with him. There are certain things I know to do or not do when I'm around Cindy. I just know, because I've spent the last number of years getting to know her better. And I just know it. It, it. It's not like I have to go ask her I don't have to ask her things. I, I just, just do it. I, I know she wants her electric blanket on every night, even during the summer, because I keep the air conditioner too cold in our bedroom. So she, I just know that. I don't have to go, honey, do you want the electric blanket on? I just don't have to do that. The same third be as we're building the foundation of walking with Christ. We don't have to always ask because we just kind of just know because we're walking with him. When you and I sin, we grieve God. We grieve God when we sin. You go, what's all that about? We make him sad. We we, we disappoint him. It's not that he needs that to function, but it's just, it's just a disappointment to him. And I, I don't know about you, but that almost bothers me more than anything else. Uh, if he made him angry, well, I don't want his anger. But, but, but to think that I disappoint my heavenly father, I really don't want to do that. I wanna I want to please him i want him to be smile on my life not so i get something but as an act of worship that i value who he i think he's worth something so when i come to those decisions i i I follow his lead and i i don't want to grieve his spirit i don't want to hurt his 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 feelings i i don't i don't want to slap his hand away when he's trying to help me into the car Uh so i don't want to do that Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. So you know this is all going on with Saul. I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry. He cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, some of us would say automatically, is this a surprise to God? Is God like, oh, I didn't know Saul was going to do this. Surprise, change of plans. No, no. Saul, um, God knew how Saul was going to respond. God's function so far above us, we don't understand why some of these things, but he knows how we're going to respond. He was sorry, but he knew this needed to be a part of his plan, but that still didn't mean... Uh, he wasn 't going to be sorry and, and regret it in the sense that it hadn 't gone the way he hoped it would go even though he knew it was going to go that way uh, he already has David in the um, on the edges getting ready because he knows this is going to happen so when you and I are functioning uh, he he 's grieved by it it doesn 't surprise him but it 's still in a sense we 're trying to humanize God almighty and anytime we try to humanize God uh, we 're bringing him down to our level so trying to Figure that all out can be difficult. But the idea is we grieve him and make him sad. We read Paul writes this to the Ephesians about grieving God. Those of us who have said yes to Christ have now the Holy Spirit living in it. God's connected to our life. He lives within us. He's a part of us. And we read this to the Ephesians. And do not grieve this Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't break his heart. The Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. God, don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. It's interesting. The next verse says this is some of the way that you grieve the Holy Spirit, by putting other people down. doesn't mean being honest, but it means putting people down, cutting remarks, backbiting, gossip, all those kinds of things, that grieves the Spirit. It, it makes him sad. And, and, and we don't want to, in a sense, have callousness callous on our heart. So when the Spirit is trying to breathe in our life and speak to us, that we don't feel his impulses, his direction. What a scary place to be, to be functioning as a Christ follower and have said basically no to God and have grieved his spirit. So then when we get to one of those crossroads in life, we really can't figure out what to do. Saul will experience this where earlier on Saul experiences he, he, he asks for God's direction and God doesn't give him direction. Then you have the whole situation with Jonathan, which we talked about last week. And so, so it, what a scary place to be. What a scary place for a Christ follower to be walking through life, not walking in the Spirit, sensitive. That, that means you're very vulnerable. Uh, some of us get nervous about locking, not having the doors of our houses locked. Some of you have, don't even have locks on your doors, I think. So, uh, you know, you don't even think about that. I mean, I lock my car every time I get out of it because I'm worried about someone playing a trick on me, not someone stealing it. Now now people are thinking, how can I get into his car? But don't you dare. I've got cameras on it. Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But anyway. But we feel vulnerable. As a Christ follower, you ought to feel vulnerable when you're not in sync with God. You're making decisions apart from him. You're making decisions on past experiences. Um, Horrible place to be, dangerous place to be, because you're gonna have to live with some of those decisions you make. Pride, kind of already touched on this. When you and I sin, we think we know best. We think we've got it figured out. I love this early in the morning Samuel got up and went to meet Saul he wasn't wasting any time of course he'd been up all night but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel then he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone into Gilgag that's where he lived but this idea that Saul was so into himself now so I did it by my own that he's building monuments to himself I mean what's the monument say? hey i won this battle i didn't do what god wanted me to do that's great i mean what's he doing you and i though can build monuments in our lives we can build monuments that say i did it by my own what we build our life on how we spend our money what we value our job decisions our service decisions our giving decisions all can be not official monuments, but they can be monuments to say, hey, I did it by my own. I'm a self-made person, pulled myself up by the bootstraps, whatever that means. Um, it's not someone's going to tell me, thank you. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, all those kind of expressions that I'm self-made. Saul's saying, I won the victory, and that is not true. <laughs> he's building a monument that he's so great and so powerful. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Sometimes I read something like that, and I kind of scoot over it. Do I really hate evil? Not the evildoer, but evil. Do I, do I, do I despise it? Uh, sometimes I have to ask myself, am I watching a movie that's delighting in unrighteousness? Where's that line? As a Christ follower, I do not, supposed to delight in unrighteousness. If I am delighting in unrighteousness, then I'm building calluses on my heart. And that's, you know, as we talk about matters of conscience, that's a matter of conscience. You've got to figure that out. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I try to stay away from those things. I, I try to evaluate, is this a backward, passive-aggressive monument to who I am? I've met some people that, that uh, purposely take on, uh, you know, like, woe is me, I have no money, and they try not to have any money, and sometimes they have more money in the bank than you would ever think, but they take this uh, vow of, like, a, appearance of poverty, but that's really like a monument to the self, because they're saying, look at me. I'm happy I don't have to figure that out for you. I have trouble not figuring it out for me, but we can do that. We can build all kinds of uh, monuments that say it's, I'm doing it by my own. Obviously, along with this, it seems like sin doesn't, it do, my sin doesn't seem all that bad. It's interesting, when I first put these statements, I, I didn't have the word my in there. I said, oh, it's my sin. I've got to put the word my in there. I, it's it's kind of like a little distancing as we're walking through it. If I just say, sin doesn't seem all that bad. Pride, no, it's my pride, my sin, my situation. When we think that sin isn't all that bad, we validate, we try, or we try to validate, so the idea is don't validate your sin. And we see Saul doing that. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. That is absolutely not true. Uh, But I've carried out the instructions, and Saul said, you have, good boy. No, he doesn't say that, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul says, clever, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Interesting. I went down to the local bank and I robbed it. And I put the money in the offering. Oh, that's very nice, Dave. That's what Saul's doing. I cheated on my taxes so I could be more generous to God. I was dishonest about this. Like, you know, it it just does not make sense. Again, it comes back to that idea of building your life on something that is not construction worthy. Saul is thinking he's going to get a pass from this. I don't understand why. I mean, Samuel is one sharp cookie, right? He is one sharp cookie, and he thinks he's just kind of going to blow through this and be accepted with all this. We are all in love with our own opinions. Oh, that's not true. Absolutely. Convinced they are correct. But the Lord is in the midst of us, testing and probing our every motive, coming back to I want to be spirit-led, not Dave Spencer-led, with a bunch of great experiences that can give me some wisdom for life, some best business practices, but I don't want to rely on them. I want to rely on him longer you live the harder it is to rely oh I know what to do here I know not to not to rely on him and he tests every motive he knows so what do we do we try to deny it we try to deny our sin Saul's great at this It wasn't me, it was the Amalekites, it wasn't me, it's the culture I live in, it's not me, it's because somebody was a jerk to me, so that's why I acted this way, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, lots of denying it. Along with that is we deflect it, we just kind of, oh, it's not sticking to me, Saul's great at this, oh, no, we're going to use that. You know for worship it's you know it's all and god's like oh great you disobeyed me and now you're going to worship me with what you disobeyed me with doesn't make sense and we try to dress it up we try to make it not look so bad well the the means justify the end you know we're doing this but this is going to be the outcome and when the outcome arrives then things will be good god will be happy no 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 shouldn't be that way because when we're doing this, we're taking advantage of God's kindness. Taking advantage of God's kindness. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. The Amalekites wage war against them until you have wiped them out. 19 is the dun-da-da-da, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Have you ever had a bunch of uh, teenage boys, about 16, 17, over your house for pizza? You put the pizzas out, you turn your back, and you look back, and the pizza is gone. Pounced on it, disappeared. It's gone. Not even nothing left. Not even those little pizza bones. You know, when they don't eat all, it's uh, it's all gone. The only memory of it is that your car smells like pizza, which I hate. But anyway, they pounce on it. Saul, why have you disobeyed? of the callousness of his heart. He was prone to wander and he got used to it. Because of your calloused heart and the refusal to change, you're piling up wrath for you, consequences in the day of wrath when God's r- righteous judgment is revealed. That should make us uncomfortable. We should ask, are we piling stuff up? Is God compassion with us and letting things ride? Are we doing that? think about all this we need to realize that my interior is superior to my exterior say that quickly my interior is superior to my exterior you know god wants our hearts he doesn't want our stuff he doesn't want your money he doesn't want your whatever he wants your heart and then, when he has your heart, he has everything else. It's just a natural expression of that. You know. Then he goes on to try to rationalize. But I did obey the Lord. You know. Again, this whole thing. I did eighty percent of what you asked, not all of it. And I, you know. And back and forth they go. And uh, on the way out, on the way out, uh, Saul will. Samuel's robe and tear a piece off I mean I you know I'm I'm guessing his robe isn't like paper so it it must have been a pretty good grab he doesn't want Saul to go away Saul says your kingdom will be ripped out of your hand like you've just ripped out a piece of my robe you see my disobedience consequences can be long term and agonizing sometimes we think we can kind of Get away with it. Let it ride. But eventually those consequences do come. It's it's not necessarily like a punishment. It's just because it is. If you do this, this will happen. I I mean, it's cause and effect. It's not a mystery. God says, do this, don't do this, because these things are happening. These, These ideas, these concepts, these directives, these commandments are designed to bring you life, not take life away from you. And you're playing with fire when you ignore them. My disobedience consequences can have long term and agonizing results. And we see that with Saul. He loses the kingdom. And uh, Saul is not going to, is not going to go back with him. I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. It's kind of like. Yeah, I I know I've done wrong. I'm sorry for doing wrong, but can you just be my side so everything looks right? Some of us do life like that with God. Uh, You know, I want to do my church thing every once in a while. I want to do this thing. I want to kind of keep you close by, but I really don't want to follow you. I'm not going to completely obey you. I'm just taking a taste. You're not my main meal of life. You're like a side dish, you're like an appetizer, you're like a dessert, but you're not the main deal of life. You're not what feeds my soul and feeds my heart. I just want you around. Solomon says God's not having that. Eventually, he does go back with him just to keep the peace, and uh, then we get to the end. Uh, I want to look at uh, Jeremiah 9, 23, this idea, again, of uh, do it by my own. What are we proud of, what is important to us. Uh, Jeremiah says this. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if anyone wants to brag, then let them brag about this. Let them brag that they've learned to know me. Let them brag that they've understand that I am the Lord that I am kind and fair, and that I do good things on the earth. I love this kind of bragging. This message is from the Lord. Not that I do it by my own, not that I'm a self-made person, but my relationship with God is shaping my life. Starting in the heart, the interior is superior to the exterior. So it shapes my life, And it isn't even really a brag, because none of us like to be around people that come off as self-righteous. It's a pointing to. Our life points to our God, the one we follow. Not to all of what we've done, but what he's done. Sometimes somebody will say to me, oh, you're so nice. It doesn't happen that often, but you're so nice. And I very quickly say that if any niceness is dripping out of my life, it's because of my Savior, not because of me. Because I'm actually not very nice. He's shaping my heart, changing me. And so that's what I want to point to. So this may seem harsh, but we can see it in Saul's life, that halfway righteousness is all the way sin halfway righteousness is all the way sin that's why we needed a savior because halfway righteousness also we can't be good enough so instead of saying you can't be good enough ha 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 ha, God says I will provide a way but when you and I think that we're doing life and we've got half of our life honoring to Christ the other half we can do at our disposal it is all the way sin don't fool yourself that's what happened in Saul's life. He did 80 to 90% of it, and he held out. That doesn't mean we're supposed to be perfect, but it's this idea of holding out. Saul knew what he was holding out. When you as a quote-unquote Christ follower, me as a Christ follower, hold out, purposely say no to something, and go halfway. I could have put 90% way. I could have put 99%. It's all the way sin in God's life. And those consequences will catch up with you. So what do we do? We do this. We get down on our knees before the master. It's the only way to get on your feet. And I love the imagery of getting on your feet. There's concepts in the Older Testament where God sets us apart. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He makes us put on the robe or he gives us the robes of righteousness. And when that happens, we can stand on our feet and look him in the eye, which is symbolic of relationship. So when you and I humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness, get on our knees and say, you are the master. He picks us up. He lifts us up so we can look him in the eye and have a relationship with him. So beware of halfway righteousness. Only going halfway, holding, having some holdout places. Because in God's eyes, it's all the way sin. And with Saul's life, as he said, I will do it by my own, it caught up with him. Not right away, but it did catch up with him. And I don't want it to have to catch up with you. If you've never said yes to Christ, I encourage you to do that. Encourage you to ask him into your life to say, I want to follow you. Uh, we have a little Knowing God pamphlet that's in the pockets around the building. There's also another booklet called Knowing God Personally. I Encourage you to pick that up and take that with you. You can come see me. Uh, Bill and Donna Lewis are going to be down front. They'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, anyone who would like to just uh, say, have someone to pray with to kind of cement what God said in life, uh, Bill and Donna will be available for that too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of Saul. We thank you for the fact that it teaches us. Help us to learn from it. Help us not to have to learn everything the hard way, banging our head against the wall. Would we learn from your word and apply without having to go through the heat of the consequences? Father, if there's someone here who has gone 90% of the way, 95% of the way, and they know there's this percentage of their life, they're saying no to you. Would this be the day that they open the door and say, I'm going to say yes to you. I don't know how I'm going to work out that detail in my life, but I'm going to start moving in that direction. So I'm not doing a half-hearted righteousness. I'm all in, and I'm going to try to be all in. And then again, if there's someone who's never said yes to you, would today be the day right there in their seat that say, Lord, I want you a part of my life. We thank you again for your love for us. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus.